0: Who here has some pretty cool family members that you guys love a lot? Yeah? yeah you guys have pretty pretty cool relatives. I, uh, I have this really fun uncle who lives in California, and I look up to him a lot. He's super funny, super lighthearted, extremely goofy, but underneath it all, he owns his own insurance company, and by their success, he's uh, quite obviously a very good leader. Um, and on top of that, I really do think he loves Jesus, and he wants and tries um, to always be a man of prayer for his church. So he's just the total package of awesome. He's a surfer. He loves dangerous adventures, uh, which I love. My, my friend Justin doesn't, but my uncle's getting a bit older now, so he won't go cliff jumping with me anymore into water because he could hurt his back. Um, but I love seeing him so much, and I wish I could spend more time with him to just kind of pick his brain and hear his heart behind a lot of the things he does Um, he really is one of my favorite family members but then (laughs) I'm pretty sure we all have in some way shape or form one of those really weird just weird family members like those ones that you kind of prefer to just interact with in private Um, I feel like I'm a friend like that's me to to my friends they just like to interact with me at the gym most of the time Outside of that, they they push hard to love me. But um it's this it's like the weird uncle that you only see at family gatherings. You don't really know them, but you know that they're family and you only spend time with them because you have to. And there are some passages in the Bible that are kinda like that, or even some books, like numbers. Like, I mean, who looks at a book called Numbers and says, Oh yeah, that sounds like something I wanna read? <laughs> or like you look at things and you're like, What Jesus said, what did he say? Or like, wait, what What did God do? Or Lot's daughters, who is that? And how do I not get any of those? Like, things like that. And they're just like, they're stories that are just really out there. <laughs> but as you've seen in some movies, it's usually the weird uncle that uh, is always the one who kind of gets you the like Willy Wonka's golden ticket. Um, but you only get it because you're the only one who uh, perseveres enough to love him. And so you just happen to get a golden ticket out of it. Because if you put up the weirdness with the weirdness. So tonight, our story is kind of like that. You don't really know what to say about it. You read it, and you're kind of unsure whether to be offended, whether to be confused, or just pretend it didn't happen and only interact with it when you happen to come across it. Um, But I think if we love this very weird story, this very weird uncle, I think that we'll have... A nice little golden ticket for us in the end. So I'm going to invite Kelly. Where are you at, Kelly? Dang, way back there. You can come up here. I'm going to invite Kelly up to read our scripture tonight. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you have them because we're going to use them a lot tonight, we're going to go and start in Matthew chapter 15 verses 21 through 28. Oh, do you have one? They told me to read them. Mm -hmm.
1: And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Ty and Sidon and behold a cantonite woman from the region came out and was crying have mercy on me O Lord son of David my daughter is severely oppressed by a demon but he did not answer her then Jesus answered her, answered her O oh woman, great is your faith. Be as done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Awesome.
0: Thank you, Kelly. <laughs> Kelly's going through LTC right now, so she's, she's kind of a big deal. Um, all right, let's pray and we'll get started. <clears throat> Holy Spirit, will you anoint your gospel again? Will you anoint your truth? Will you make it real to us? May we not think that parts of it don't apply when your whole scripture is for all people at all times and in all generations. We love you, Lord. Would you speak to us? Would you put your finger on that thing in our life that has to go, that thing in our life that keeps us from you, that thing in our life that brings us down, Lord? We love you. Please help minds be open and be here with us like you have in the past. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so right away. There's this weird uncle of the Bible. Jesus is no longer in Israel. He's in this outside territory, outside of Jerusalem. For us, that'd be like going to Utah to get some rest instead of staying here in New Mexico. That's kind of what he did. And there's this mom whose daughter is extremely sick, and she comes to Jesus. And this woman is what's called a Syrophoenician, meaning she's a Greek and therefore worships pagan gods. And the gods that the Syrophoenicians worshipped was called Asheroth which is the moon goddess, and they uh, worshiped her for her beauty, the goddess of beauty. I don't know how you worship a god of a goddess of beauty if they're not real, but that's neither here nor there. Um, it's a, It's a bit odd, actually. Most students, when you meet them and they come to college, they're ready to get out of the house. They want their freedom. They want to be their own person. They want emancipation, and they want the freedom to express themselves and to experiment however they want. You know, they say things like, I'm just here to live the college lifestyle or try out a, a few cars before I buy one and be a man child till I'm 30 and then I'll get serious about life. And whatever feels right is what I'll try and there's no one to restrain me from doing it. That's the culture that this woman was born and brought up in. That's their kind of culture. A Syrophoenician was taught that their instincts and passions were perfectly right and they should be indulged in. And if you wanted it, you should do it. How many of us kind of uh, just do what feels right as opposed to what is right? We live in a culture for us that says your right is not my right and so on. But as ideologically sound as that may seem, it's actually a living hell that no one here wants, no matter how you try to argue it. Because if I say my right is to shove a spoon through your eye, you have no right to tell me I'm not right and therefore I can do it if I want. And no one here wants a world like that. There is an absolute right, but we're all encouraged to indulge in anything we want. Just do what you want, spend time how you want, prioritize how you want. And that's what this woman did. And here she is, a mom living out the consequences of doing whatever felt right. And some of it felt very good. And now she has this lifelong commitment to a child, but no man that's committed to her. So, interesting how sex says, give give your body completely to me. Marriage says, give your life completely to me. But a lot of our culture only wants one half of that. So, like we said last week, too many of us have to learn the hard way. We let it get too far before we realize everything we have was worthless. I hope you don't let it get that far before we realize this. But man, that isn't even the rough part of this story. So... This woman comes to Jesus, and in our slides it says, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But Jesus didn't even answer her. He answered his disciples a question they asked, and a statement they made. And he said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered and said, Let the children be fed first. For it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. What on earth, Jesus? Jesus is getting pretty gnarly here. Because before, But before we can get to the golden ticket, I think, of this passage, we have to kind of answer the big elephant in the room of why Jesus would say this to someone. This doesn't sound like Jesus. He just called her a dog because she isn't an Israelite. And that's not a joke in our society today. You could say it's sexist or racist. But what's really happened here is that Jesus knows that he's about to do what he's about to do on the cross. And Israel are God's chosen people. And this woman isn't one of them. But she still wanted Jesus' help as though she was one of them. So Jesus wants to analyze how much she really trusts that he'll still do this for her. I used to have a coach who would kind of lose his mind when I would do something wrong on the field, something wrong in my form or my technique, or I just wasn't getting something right. It didn't make sense that he'd be so hard on me about things that seemed so small, but one day I was pitching a little bit, throwing, and I wasn't very accurate, so he got frustrated at me and I kind of got down on myself. And he saw it and he he came over and he said, look, I'm not upset because I think you're bad. I'm upset and frustrated because I see how good you are and how good you can be. And I just want you to grow into that. That's what Jesus is doing with this woman. He knows that she really can have a real faith in him, which just means that she can trust him with everything. But she, he needs to bring it out of her. So she comes to him and cries out, Jesus. Jesus. Help me. But he doesn't respond. How many of us, like you guys probably a lot of the missions teams heard from Sarah, don't hear from God when we talk with him and we just stop? We don't go any further. We give up. This woman doesn't do that. She comes to him and begs him to help her all the more. And he says, it's not fair that the little dog should eat before the children. Did you catch that? That the little dogs shouldn't eat before the children. She did catch it. Jesus is implying that they aren't the only ones to eat. There are more to eat after the children. And when he says little dog in Greek, it's kunarion, which means little house puppies. The kind that people keep in the home. Not kuon, which means big dogs like the dirty, nasty ones that if an Israelite touched it, they'd be unclean now. If she wants Jesus bad enough, either she's going to see what he's saying and understand, or she's just going to keep asking because there's nowhere else to go anyway. Jesus is saying that the Israelites are the children in the house, and the Gentiles are these little puppies in the house. Now, the emphasis is not on the difference in race, but the emphasis is on their rightful place in the home and both of their rights to be cared for by the master of the home. And she catches it, and she says... Yes, Lord. Yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Jesus wasn't being harsh. He's pulling out of her a trust and hunger for him that you just don't see in our world very much anymore. That's why Jesus said what he said. The difference isn't in race. Race wasn't the integration point of this, inter- of this interaction. It's the fact that both belong in the home and both have a right to be cared for. Does that make sense? Yeah. All right, we just had to make sure we didn't think Jesus was crazy. So this still isn't even close to the good part. So there I was. I'm a sophomore in college. I'm about to get a job because it's Black Friday season and everyone's hiring seasonal workers. But I was in this horrible, horrible, just awful relationship. And the last night when I was writing this, I felt that the Holy Spirit telling me that someone here tonight is in a pretty awful relationship that just needs to end. And I know that's a very general like general thing to say. I mean, every college student, every college relationship that's not centered around Jesus is just awful anyway and should end. But I really did feel like the Lord telling me that so there's a girl here that knows their, their relationship needs to end, and it's about time that it needs to be done. So, anyways. There I am about to grow some chest hair and get this job to pay for my date so my dad didn't have to anymore. And I get hired at Kohl's. And I think to myself, man, my girlfriend is going to be stoked. I worked there for two weeks. Thanksgiving was about two weeks later. And of course, I'm scheduled to to work Black Friday because that's why I got hired in the first place. And so I tell my girlfriend, hey, I can't go shopping and Black Friday shopping with you guys. I work Thursday night to Friday morning. And she just loses it she this is the worst news she had ever heard is what it seemed like she goes are you kidding me you're gonna spend spend black friday at kohl's instead of with me and i'm thinking in my head monologue well yeah i mean i have to work and then she says do you really think they care about you like i do do you really think they give a crap about you and i thought well probably not i'm just seasonal and and then she says Working there isn't going to get you anywhere. Working at Kohl's is so feminine. I want to be able to say my boyfriend works somewhere cool. And needless to say, I was just stupid enough to think she was right. I was like, you know what? You're right. They don't love me like you do. They don't care about me like you do. And I won't get anywhere in this job. So I quit, which is extremely stupid. And the problem was that it wasn't my job that was that bad it was that she was that insecure at the thought of me having a life outside of her. And what usually happens when it comes to insecurities, we put our worthiness in someone else's hands. That's what it means to be insecure, putting your worthiness in unworthy hands. We put our worthiness in something and we get terrified at the thought of losing that something because then we lose our worth, the thing that makes us important, special, or whatever. Insecurity is the opposite of conceit, but both are when you look at something and say, I look like this, therefore I'm worthy to be important. I have this thing, or I think this way, or I know this much, therefore I am worthy and important. Or, other side of the coin, I don't have this, I don't look like this, I don't think like this, or act like this, therefore I'm not worthy. People putting their worthiness in things and then losing them is usually the biggest cause of suicide and suicidal thoughts. I mean, we all kind of hear some of those melodramatic people when they get broken up with, and they say, if we aren't together, I'm going to kill myself. And I'm just like, well, you have problems then. I don't think that's serious. I think you just have you know, serious priority problems. But, or when someone genuinely spends their whole life building up their career, building up their success, building up their finances, and out of nowhere, they lose their entire socioeconomic status and they, and they, all of a sudden they just want to kill themselves because everything they worked for is gone. Because they think to themselves, I am important, I'm somebody, I'm worthy of being alive because I have this success, I have this money, I have this lifestyle, I have this boyfriend or girlfriend, and then they lose it and everything they live for is dead so they think they should be too. And in our story, Jesus refers to this woman as a little dog, a being that was adopted into the home, not born, but belonging to the home nonetheless. Are you tracking with me? Alright, so everywhere in the New Testament, sin and selfishness is what keeps people from living in God's home. Since Genesis, sin removed son and daughter from God's home, and God has been trying ever since to bring His children back, born or adopted, back into His home. Sin is the only thing not allowed in the home because it separates people from it. The prodigal son left the home because of sin. Gentiles were adopted into the home from a world of sin. And the Bible says that for our sake, Jesus was made sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And it says we all like sheep have gone astray, each one leaving God's path because we think our path is better and we know better. And God laid on Jesus the sins of us all. Sin is what keeps us from a place in the home. But Jesus, the master of the home, is becoming the very thing that won't allow us into it so that we might have a place in it. Even the little dog has a place in the home. Track with me. But Jesus is about to become less than her, and he knows it. He's becoming the thing that has no place in the home. It says, the Bible says, though he was rich for your sake, he became poor. So that because of his poverty, you might become rich. In other words, wealthy and down to a beggar. We're saying that people commit suicide because they lose everything they gave themselves to. They lose a girlfriend. They lose their money. They lose power, success, knowledge. How on earth can Jesus stoop so low from being the master of the house to taking on that which cannot be in the house? How is he okay with being shamed like that? The whole nation of Israel was going to know. We all know. The whole world now knows. Well, a lot of the world knows. And for example, uh, there are certain religions that don't believe that Jesus would be God. Because God would never allow himself to be humiliated like that. But that's what makes Jesus of Nazareth so great. Is that it wasn't humiliating for him. Because Jesus knew that the Father had given all things into his hands. And that he came from the Father and was going back to him. Jesus didn't place his worthiness in the hands of people and things. Which we might so, ten, so often tend to do. He's not like, oh man, like, these people aren't going to like me. And man, if you guys don't like me good enough, like, I'm not going to have the confidence to go to the cross for y'all. And he's not saying, oh, oh God, all oh, my people don't like me. And my friends are going to be embarrassed for my friends and whatever. Jesus wasn't insecure about any of that, and we are not meant to be either. Insecurity is self rejection, conceit is self exaltation. Jesus was neither of these, and we are not meant to be either. The conceit of being too good to do certain things, too high to stoop so low to take and do certain other things, or the rejection of not being enough to do this, or not having enough to do that, it's all sin. Jesus could lose everything without being afraid because he knew the Father chose him. Despite his status, despite his wealth, the Father knew him and chose him apart from everything. He loves Jesus because he loves him, because he loves him, because he just loves him. So how can that be us? How can we not be insecure about who we are, what we have, don't have, know, don't know, do and don't do... Every so often you'll kind of get into an argument. I don't know if you guys have experience with this. You'll get into an argument with someone and you're trying to be humble and genuinely try to find where you might be wrong. Um, but the other person is just clearly, clearly in the wrong. But for some horrendous reason, they are literally incapable of seeing it. And so after I quit Coles, I got a job at an attorney's office as a runner, which segued into a better job I had at another attorney's office. I was obviously stoked because... I could kind of understand working at Kohl's might have been a little lame, maybe. I don't think that now. But surely this job would impress her. So I call her to tell her I get the job, and she goes, Are you kidding me? You think those attorneys care about you? You think being a runner is going to get you anywhere in your future? Okay. Okay, if you want to work there, we can't be together. I can't be with someone who's going to leave me for such an embarrassing job. Spend so much time there. (laughs) And that day, that day, this light bulb finally went off where I thought, I think this is a bit wrong. This is a smidge unhealthy. And I mean, she was crazy. There was nothing I could say to convince her that she was really being crazy. So we broke up. I met my small group leader. Now I love Jesus. Sad face, happy face story. But... That is just the tip of this crazy person iceberg of our world. I was looking for some interesting articles to read the other, like a few weeks ago, and I came across one that said Indian man suing his mother for giving birth to him without his consent. (laughs) Do I think this is a bit ridiculous? Absolutely. But I do want you to notice something in it. No kid has a choice to be born, but parents. Always are the ones who choose to have their kid. Yeah. Kids are chosen by their parents. Of course, some are accents, whatever. But in the, for the majority, kids are chosen. Parents choose to have them. The secret to no longer being insecure is understanding that the God of the universe has chosen you When you realize that you are chosen like Jesus was chosen, you know that you have been seen as a special person. Someone has looked at you in your uniqueness and has expressed a desire to know you, to come closer to you, and to love you. The eyes of love have looked at you and seen you as precious, as of infinite beauty, and as of eternal value. When God chooses something, He chooses it with a perfect sensitivity of the uniqueness and the unique beauty of the one being chosen. This right here, your chosenness, produces your worthiness. A lot of girls, I know some very pretty girls who had a jerk of a boyfriend, didn't make them feel pretty, and these girls place their worthiness in a man's opinion, and now they don't feel pretty or worth anything. Guys, we have a problem with our worthiness being tied to our manliness. We don't wanna ask for help, ask for money, be wrong, be shamed, or whatever. We put our worthiness in some image that we have to uphold. There are very many voices in our world today, and our world doesn't even know what it wants. I don't know why we listen to it. Just a few decades ago, you couldn't wear swimsuits that show too much, Without being criticized for not wearing enough. Now, if you wear too much, you're the weird one. Our world has no idea what it wants. Men, women, society, they don't know what they want. But God's word and desires are timeless for all people and relevant in all ages. It is safe to give God your worthiness because He doesn't change, He is consistent and reliable. You can walk without insecurity. Because if you'll just practice his presence, if you'll just remember as often as humanly possible that Jesus is walking with you and he chooses to, he wants it more than you do. The most important in the wor- person in the world chooses you and says that you are worth dying for. I don't know how many people you guys can look at in the room and say, oh yeah, I'll just, yeah, I'll die for you right now. Like I'll give up my life and never live the rest of my life out. I'm only 20 something. So when you think about how you'd be really selective about who to die for, it should be a big deal that someone as important as Jesus would do that for you. He's here in this room and he wants you more than you could ever want him. The best way to remember your chosenness is to unmask the world for what it is, which is just manipulative, controlling, power hungry, and pretty much destructive in the long run. You may not always feel it, but you are precious in the eyes of God. You have to surround yourself with people and places where this truth is spoken to you and where you're reminded of it often. And third, you have to celebrate your chosenness. You have to be grateful for it. Gratitude is the most fruitful way of deepening this reality in your heart. When you just just stop and you take a moment, you say, Lord... Thank you that you would look at this mess and want me. Henry Nouwen says that when you are able to deeply trust that you are precious in God's eyes, you are able to finally recognize the preciousness of others and their unique place in God's heart. If you don't see others as precious, it's because you don't understand that you are. And finally, as we come to an end... There's one other thing that the Father did for Jesus that helped him become less in society's eyes without believing he was less in God's. Because the reality for us is when you give your life to Jesus, you're kind of taking a step down in society's eyes. You're not, gonna, you're not taking a step up in the world, but you are in the kingdom. Yeah. So when I first started support raising, I lived at what is now Sid's house. I had a room connected to the laundry room, and support raising was extremely nerve-wracking. Support raising, for those of you who don't know... Is, uh, is where you ask people to invest in you financially to go on mission trips or to be a missionary full time. And thank you, Jesus, for my very generous and faithful friends and family. But when I would support raise, I would do anything I could to get my mind off of what I was doing so I wouldn't overthink it. So when I'd call, I would have to multitask. And in my backyard, I don't know why it was there, I found this very huge spear. And so, again, I don't know why there was a throwing spear in my backyard, but it was there. So I grabbed it, and when I would call people, I would start stabbing things in the backyard. Specifically, I would usually, I'd see this tree, and I don't know why, it's out of anger, I think. I would try to impale this tree and a few other chairs surrounding it. But my very first day of making calls... I was pretty distraught. I'd never asked anyone for money in my entire life. I was about to call my old friends, some of my new friends and whatever, and I was gonna ask them and look like a weirdo, I thought. So I went to my laundry room, just completely freaking out. I laid on the floor and I started praying. And I said, God, I, I just need you to tell me something, anything, I just need to hear from you. I'm, I'm, I'm so nervous, I don't know what to do. I'm frozen. And after waiting there for a few minutes as clear as day, God had spoke to my heart, and it was just so simple, and He just said, I love you. I am the one who loves you. It's not like the Bible doesn't get this point across, obviously, but in that moment, what I needed was Him to remind me that He is the one who loves me. And immediately, I got it. My my worthiness wasn't dependent on what these people's thoughts of me were going to be. It was dependent on what God thought of me, and He had just told me what that thought was. And so I got up and made my phone calls like a boss. And so the Lord gave me something, something called a blessing, a benediction, an encouragement. Giving a blessing is the most significant affirmation anyone can offer. In Latin on our slides, it said the, the Latin word for, uh, what's it called, for bless is benedicere. The word benediction, which literally means speaking well, saying good things of someone We all need to hear good things of ourselves. We often say things synonymous to this, like honor and affirm. And it's more than just praise. It's more than appreciation. It's more than noticing talents and good deeds. It's saying yes to someone's unique preciousness in God's eyes. It's saying, I see what he sees. A blessing touches the original goodness of someone and lifts up their preciousness. Being chosen isn't enough. We need to hear in an ever new way that we belong to a loving God. Jesus himself needed this. After he was baptized in the Jordan, a voice came from the cloud saying, You are my beloved son, and in you I am well pleased. This was a blessing, and it was the blessing that sustained Jesus through all the praise, all the blame, admiration, and condemnation that he he was going to have for the next three years. Do you not realize this one part, that God had said he was proud of Jesus before he had even done a single miracle? It wasn't because of anything Jesus had done. It was because of who he belonged to. If you belong to Jesus, that blessing and encouragement is for you. If you don't truly love and belong to Jesus, the blessing is waiting to be yours, but it isn't yet. This is your blessing. It says, so God created man in in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them and God blessed them. He creates you and blesses you. No work done, no work said, but because of who you are. There is no amount of work in the kingdom that you can do that will make God speak more blessing over your uniqueness than he already wants to. When the weeks are busy and you, ha- you, can only, you, you, can do, you can only do a little bit. You have to do less. He still speaks nothing but about your unique place in his heart. The Bible says that he came to his own. His own people didn't receive him. But to all who did receive him, he gave the right to become children of God. Yeah. Come on. This blessing and place in the home is a choice. It is not default. Please, if there's anything you're going to hear, hear this part. No one in the world from birth is a child of God. You are made into the image of God. But as John 1, 11 through 12 says, you have to choose this sonship. You are precious. You have a purpose. And he speaks blessings over you so that you know your worthiness is tied to him and his thoughts of you, which are always consistent. But choosing, it is a choice. He gave the right To become children of God. To all who did receive him by choice. There's sonship and daughtership waiting. But no one has it. Unless they've received it from him. You don't have it by default. Justin you can come up. I'm pretty much done. We have to choose. To be in the family of God. We have to choose to accept this identity and worthiness and security that God is willing to give us. Someone else can't choose it for you. And I think we all in some way, shape, or form deal with some sort of insecurity or conceit, tying our worthiness to what we do, what we have or what we don't have, what we look like or what we don't look like. I think some here clearly know, and it's obvious to you, that you're not a part of the family of God. And I think we know it's about time we stopped rebelling against Him. And it's time we stopped hurting Him. And we hurt and stop hurting others and give everything to Him. There's nothing to be insecure about with Jesus. His thoughts about you don't change with your appearance, with your personality, your knowledge, or your success, or lack thereof. But some of us in here just need a blessing from God. You just need a benediction for Him to speak something well over you. And He wants to do that more than you want it from Him. Tonight, you can give your heart and life to Jesus. And if that's you, after I pray, I want you to find the person who brought you. So you can pray together. And you guys can count the cost of whatever it is you're wanting. But if you just desperately want to hear the voice of God. And you need him to speak blessing over you. Then I'm going to invite you to come down to the front and get on your face before Jesus. And just wait for him. To just ask him to tell you something and just wait. Just wait till the service is over. And if you still haven't heard anything, don't stop. Be like the woman in this story. Ask again tonight when you get home. Ask again tomorrow. Ask again and again and again. If you don't want it enough to remember it and continue asking for it, why should God give it to you? So I'm going to pray. And if you need to talk with the person who brought you and they want to come down here and wait on Jesus, then that's okay. You should come wait on him too. And you guys can talk after. <clears throat> Jesus. Lord, may we, may we be aware of your greatness. May we have a revelation of who you are. Please unveil our eyes to see the cross. Unveil our eyes to see your beauty, to see that it's not this this just religious thing to do, but someone to be with, someone to know, someone who changes us, someone who loves us, someone who takes away these insecurities because we have you. Lord please help us see your face help us long to hear your voice there is no sweeter thing than to get to hear you I pray that anything anyone is living for in here that they would have a perspective that helps them see how small it is down to the smallest thing like knowledge the smallest thing like appearance to the biggest thing like careers and relationships we love you will you please speak to us because I know you want to more than we want it. I pray that your children would come home to you. And I pray that your children would listen to you. Help us to hear you, Lord. Be gracious to us if we are hard at hearing. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.